When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ready? Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, good lunchtime, Hanlon. Is that about right where you are? It is, yeah. 12, 12 10 right now, central time. 12 10 central time, nice. Uh, I've gone a bit posh today for today's episode. So, mind you, P's and Q's, we're, I've put this on LinkedIn as well. So, we're really, you know, just nice. in case anybody out there wants to offer us a, a job as well. <laughs> uh, there we go. Uh, we are hiring our- right now. <laughs> this is our oh, yeah. video CV for all of us. Yeah, uh, Will, of course, uh, has been on many times. Hanlon as well, a, a few times too. In fact, last time Hanlon was on, it was the just after Charleston. I think we had a look back on the the women's side there, right? Yeah, that was a great, yeah, great chat with you and Nick back in April. Yeah, that was the beginning of what we did was a weekly series, and we're going to continue doing it as well, I think, pretty much for the rest of the year, WTA Weekly. Uh, Will is um, – sorry, not Will. Um, this is That's a bad um, uh, job offer there because Will didn't even know who's going to sign up for this. Uh, no, uh, Nick is no longer going to be doing WTA Weekly for a few weeks. He's having a little little break um, after a hectic spell, and uh, a guy called Jakob is going to be hosting that particular show. But that is for another day. Will, how are you doing? I am good. Uh this week there's no Wimbledon on, so I'm actually accomplishing some stuff. Uh, but <laughs> but I do miss it. But I'm doing great. Yeah. Do Do you have um? I mean, before we went live, we were sort of talking about spells of the year. Uh, Will mm-hmm. is there a doubles tournament amongst the slams at least uh, that you that you think is is just a bit extra special? And, and is it Wimbledon? Um. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can pick one that's like extra special. I mean, for me, it's more about the time zones uh, yeah. and the matchups. So the U.S. Open is just easiest for me because most of the matches are in the afternoon and then into the night, uh, my time. So it's just a lot easier to watch. Whereas the past two weeks, I've been waking up at you know 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. and 
there's already matches that have been completed and they're going to go to like 2 or 3 p.m. my time. Um, and it's just really hard to get work done when you have the match on the other screen. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I don't know if I hold one in a higher regard than another uh, in terms of doubles. I mean, the reason I, 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 of course, I'm from the UK, but actually uh, uh, across the four slams, I probably don't have a huge preference, um, but I, I probably would lean, yeah, maybe slightly more to, to, to the US Open and New York, just because it seems it's a bit more of a fun tournament, in my opinion, and a bit more open, uh, I would mm-hmm. argue, at least from a fan's perspective. But But conversely, I would say my memories of a kid growing up of some of the doubles uh, uh, events at Wimbledon are pretty special. Uh, Hanlon, have you got any thoughts on this chat? I think, um, well, even outside of the Grand Slams, I think, you know, most people who follow doubles would probably agree that Indian Wells seems to be yeah. the biggest doubles event for whatever reason, maybe the scheduling or the, you know, two out of three format for the men. Um, but Indian Wells always seems to draw the biggest doubles crowd. So I think in terms of player, you know, prestige, um, and just the strength of the field, I would say Indian Wells is is probably the most you know well known tournament for doubles. But I think you know there's something about watching doubles on the Grand Slam, like at the U.S. Open, just wandering the outside courts and stumbling upon so many good you know doubles matches with marquee players that I think is hard to beat that experience too. Yeah, and the mixed as well at the Grand Slams. I mean, you only mm-hmm. get that at the Grand Slams. So you know to see. Uh, um, a lot of the top singles players play from the WTA and ATP play together uh, is re- really, really cool. Will, in terms of the, the doubles events at Wimbledon, were there, was there any step forward, shall we say, in terms of, um, in terms of publicity, in terms of TV, you know, exposure, or, or are we still sort of, you know, pushing that cycle, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I I did see they so they showed the women's I'm sorry the mixed final on uh, I think it was Friday um, or maybe Thursday. Yeah, I think it was Thursday actually. Yeah. Thursday, yeah, yeah. So Thursday they showed the mixed final on ESPN in the U.S., which is you know every single restaurant and and this was around like lunchtime, so like every single restaurant and. And bar, if they have a TV, like they're going to have ESPN on, like that's the major sports network. Uh, so the fact that mixed doubles was on uh, ESPN uh, on that Thursday was really cool um, to see. I'm not sure they've done that in the past. I think part of the reason it is maybe were the women's singles semifinals um, a little bit shorter. Uh, I don't remember, but for whatever reason, that mix, was on. like, yeah, I think they used to have the mix fall on like. Saturday or Sunday and it just got kind of buried behind the singles okay. final. So they bumped it up to Thursday just to give it more of a spotlight is what I'm, you know, imagining what I would assume. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was cool to see. But um, other than that, I feel like it was about the same. I mean, typically you're going to get the headlines if uh, a big name uh, player, you know, makes a deep run in, in the doubles and it was mostly doubles specialists uh, in this case. Okay. Let's get into what I think was probably the biggest story on, on the double side, but um, we'll f- probably find out with the next half an hour or so whether you agree with me on that one. And that was the the women's doubles title going to um, Strichova, is that right? Strichova, Strichova, and Shea, right? Yep. 
I'm saying that. I hope. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it sounds I can pronounce the people that lost to them anyway. Storm Hunter and Elise Mertens with yeah. a bit more <laughs> comfort. Um, and this was a bit of a comeback sort of thing, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. I think it was. I would agree that was probably the best double story of the tournament. Uh, and maybe, you know, beyond just double stories, one of the, the best feel good stories of, of Wimbledon. Um, but I think just what an impressive comeback from, you know, Shea Sue. She's a magician out there. I watched, you know, the entirety of the women's finals and she was just redirecting the, the pace of uh, Hunter and Mertens and lobbing and, you know, hitting flat balls and short balls and, you know, just incredible hands at the net um, and really setting up her partner, uh, Barbara Stritzova, well, just to, to attack at the net. But they, you know, she's won now back-to-back majors. So she's 12-0 and 0 in Grand Slams this year. And she's also won Wimbledon, uh, the women's doubles event, three times in a row that she's mm-hmm. played in in uh, 2019, 2021, and 2023. So really remarkable comeback story for both of them. And Shay Su Wei as well? Yeah, Shay Su Wei, um, I think, you know, just going back to her accomplishments this year, winning the Channel Slam um, with, you know, two different partners at Roland Garros and now at Wimbledon mm-hmm. and winning, you know, kind of accomplishing that three-peat at Wimbledon like I talked about, and then what a great, you know, farewell tour for uh, Stritzova, who's, you know, this was her last yeah. Wimbledon and she's going to retire, I think after the U S open for good. So, you know, an added bonus that she was able to come back and, you know, win a surprise slam to add to her resume. Will, do you think there's any chance she might change her mind? I don't know. I was wondering the same thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was looking at the WTA uh, race to the finals and they, jumped 37 spots up to uh number seven so they're in it right now uh now if you ask chase Wei, do you want to make the wta finals this year she might not know what that event is um <laughs> she she is so quirky and funny if i don't know if you've heard the story uh of when she was practicing in new york this is during the u.s open with her coach uh, uh i think she was practicing with paul McNamee, who's her coach She, she was hitting balls and broke a string and didn't notice. Ah, yes, I'm aware of that story. Have you heard this? Yeah. Yeah, So her, her coach, like she kept hitting and her coach noticed the ball was like, I guess, flying a little bit or something. Mm -hmm. He said, your string's broken. And she looked at it and was confused. And he said, when's the last time you had it restrung? And it was like two or three years. (laughs) Something crazy. Um. So she's just, she's so quirky and funny and every, she has such a great personality. Everybody loves her. Um, and uh, anyways, it, it was, it was amazing to to watch her um, win Wimbledon after, after Rolling Garros as well. Um, Hanlon, any more sort of broader thoughts on, on the, uh, the women's doubles tournament as a whole? Well, I think um, Shay's timing was, has been interesting because she came back, you know, for Rolling Garros right before in, in Madrid and, um, the number one Czech team of Barbora Krajikova and Katarina Siniakova have been, they were injured and then came back and, you know, were rusty at Roland Garros, lost a surprising first round and then mm-hmm. pulled out of the doubles at Wimbledon. So Shea has definitely taken advantage of, you know, the Czech's absence, but it'd be great to see the two of them square off sometime this summer um, in New York or one of the lead up tournaments. But I think, um, yeah, beyond that, there were, you know, as it relates to the Wimbledon draw, there were a lot of upsets, um, a lot of seeds getting bounced in the early rounds um, and just some teams, you know, having broken up recently, like Gabby Dabrowski and Louisa Stefani. It's, you know, interesting to see 
different partners that they've been playing with lately. So I would say yeah, a couple of team breakups and just early round upsets. Hanlon, can you elaborate a bit on the Siniakova Krajcikova situation? Because you know they dominate, dominated pretty much every Grand Slam they entered for for a good year or so, and yet they had that shock first round loss in in Paris. They pulled out here, but Krajcikova was certainly well enough to perform in the singles for for a couple of matches, and, and she had a pretty good build up as well, where she made the final in Birmingham. Um, what was the thought, to, or, or was it Siniakova then pulling the plug on on that? Was it Hanlon? I don't know. Well, do you know one of them? I think got injured, or maybe it was a precautionary measure. Yeah, I, I'm not even sure. I didn't see much about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's something uh, I should know, but that's one of the the difficulties with doubles is a lot of the news doesn't yeah. become news. Like nobody nobody talks about it. Uh, so I do I'm, think I'm really Siniakova had sure. one. Of- one or two good singles results, um, not necessarily at Wimbledon itself. I'm just having a quick look at her singles. Yeah, she did yeah, have a good draft season second, from what I remember. She got to the second round, it looks like, at Wimbledon. But I remember having some good results pre-Wimbledon as well. on the Yeah, she cycle. won a, a tournament, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think she may well. Did she win, she didn't win Bard Homburg, did she? I won a uh, chance. Yeah, maybe. I think she won that one. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was Bart Humbug. She won that exactly, and then she got to the second round. So I don't know. Maybe there was some. I, I think both were healthy, but maybe they thought both players thought. Listen, maybe we need to give this a a, a good go in singles, and maybe yeah. once they get to one gets to the, they're both in the second round at Wimbledon. I think um, maybe they maybe made the decision as late as that. But um, I mean, how easy I is think, it? Well, really? I think Kurdikova retired in her match actually. In her, ah, that's okay. what it was. Well, she was down like six three four zero or something, and then I'm pretty sure right. she retired. That's a pity mm. because uh, she's Krajcikova sort of had a, a stop start year, and when I say stop start, I don't just mean in terms of fitness. I actually mean in terms of results. And unfortunately, yeah. she's had some rough draws. But um, yeah, I, I had Krajcikova down for having a, a stellar year on the single side, but it hasn't quite panned out quite that way yet. But uh. Anyway, they have um, they've hit a bit of a, a, a something or another in terms of the doubles, but fingers crossed their their health um, resumes, if you like, and they can tear it up in in North America. Okay, uh, any other final things, Will, on the the women's doubles side? Do you want to highlight? Um, Hanlon briefly touched on all the seeds going out. I mean, there was only two seeds in the quarterfinals the three seed which was hunter and mertens who made the final and then the 16 seeds of uh dolhide and jing shui um so that that was really surprising i mean early on a lot of seeds dropped that uh and some of them had had a decent grass court season um so that's one thing i noticed uh another thing is uh von drusova actually you know, she won the singles, of course. She actually made the quarters and doubles and withdrew. Um, ah. that, so, that, actually, Will, that does bring me to a broader point. Or third Is round, it, I'm sorry, not quarters, third round, but withdrew against Hunter and Mertens. Okay. I mean, we saw uh, Igas Fiontek, I think, make the French Open doubles final and mm-hmm. the French Open singles final. I think she won the singles and lost the doubles. I'm going to say 2020, but I, I, I could be out by... I think that's right. Yeah, I think it was 2020, in the, that, that winter version of the, of the Paris event. Um, how easy do you think it is in modern tennis to do that? Is it still... Am I, am, I, am I 
being a bit too negative yeah. on the women's side in particular, where of course they're playing best of three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's oh, it's easier on. Yeah, easier on the women's side for sure, since it's it's best of three instead of five. Um, and it's also easier at the Grand Slams because you're playing every other day versus a lot of the Masters 1000s, at least the ones that are only one week. You know, you'll have singles matches on back to back to back days, and you don't necessarily want to um, add doubles onto that. So you can kind of stagger them. Um, but uh, a lot of the Masters 1000s are moving, as you know, to, to 10 or 14 day mm-hmm. tournaments. So, so maybe we'll see more of the quote singles players entering the doubles draws at some of those. Um, I guess time will tell, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's achievable for sure. If you're in good health, good fitness, um, especially on the women's side with the, the two out of three sets. I mean, achievable Hanlam, is it advisable too? Is it, I mean, there are pros and cons, uh, I, I would suggest to both. I mean, for sure, it can, can give you a better feel, especially maybe in the earlier rounds and, and in a way more matches means more confidence if, you, if you're playing well, right? Yeah, I think so. We've, we've talked to uh, Jess Pagula about this in a press conference last summer. We asked her, you know, specifically about balancing singles versus doubles. And, you know, for players like Goff and Pagula, whose singles um, results, you know, the past few months have been probably more up and down than they had expected. I think doubles has given them both a, a platform to, you know, work on different things, um, you know, treat it like a practice, but with the adrenaline of a real, you know, a real match, but also, um, you know, have that camaraderie and, and leave tournaments probably on a more positive note mentally than they would have, you know, for instance, like when Coco lost early in singles at Wimbledon, you know, she and Pagula still won a couple of rounds and, you know, got to, I think, almost to the second week um, of doubles. So I think, you know, both for morale reasons and, you know, for practice um, doubles, you know, offers great benefits for in both of those arenas. On the mm-hmm. men's doubles side, Will, the headline I recall was champions, I think, finally, or champions at last for Neil Skupski and Wesley Kulhoff, uh, winning their final in straight sets, actually, and I think a little over an hour, maybe hour and a quarter, I think it was, hour, hour, hour and 15 minutes, something like that. Um, and, of course, there's the story, didn't they get to the US Open final, I think it was, last year, Will, where they had yeah. a bit of a disappointing end to their run there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they lost to... Uh... Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram in the U S open final. And they've been the best team probably on the ATP tour for the last year and a half or so. They teamed up at the beginning of 2022 last year. Uh, but yeah, they couldn't really break through at the grand slams. They had, I think seven titles last year, uh, and made 10 finals. Um, and then this year they, they've had a couple of, uh, titles as well. And, and they're, you know, back to number one in the race. Uh, so it was cool to see them kind of break through and get the um, their first Grand Slam together. Uh, and I actually spoke yesterday with um, their with Wesley's coach Rob Morgan uh, on the podcast, and I asked him that. I asked him, you know, what what was the difference for Wimbledon this year since you know they've played six Grand Slams together. They've been the best team in the world the past eighteen months, but they haven't been able to break through. And I was kind of expecting him to say, like, you know, it was just a matter of time. They've obviously won a lot of tournaments. You know, we were doing all the right things. But he actually said that he sat down with them uh, at the beginning of the year 
and they kind of reviewed last year and said, okay, we've done great. We finished the year in number one. We won seven titles, but we need to make a change because, you know, we didn't win the Grand Slam and that's what mm-hmm. we want to win. Like we want to win a major. So I thought he was going to say they worked on some tactical things or some strategic things, but he said communication was the difference this year. He said their communication has gotten even deeper. Um, and he talked about it on the court, off the court, um, you know, between matches, before matches. So um, it, it was interesting hearing him talk about that, um, how they've just gotten to know each other so well um, and been able to kind of lift each other up when one person's feeling a little down or feeling a little off. Um, so it was really cool to see see them uh, win their well-deserved uh, first major. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. How do they, I mean, how do they sort of, this seems fairly random, but I'm sure it's not. How do these players come together, such as Skupski and Kulhoff? Uh, maybe, Will, you know this story, or maybe H- Hanlon's sort of nodding a bit there. Mm. And maybe uh, Hanlon knows how these two came about as a pair. I don't I don't know these two specifically. I, I feel like it, it can doubles partnerships, at least from what we understand, can take different forms. I know some some people will just you know DM, DM each other on Instagram, but then other times like coaches will set them up just and try and you know find partners who might complement their skill sets or who they get along with off the court. Um, so I mean it's probably a, a mix. Some people just prefer to play with their friends. I know we we spoke with Danielle Collins um, back in Charleston this April, and she you know specifically mentioned just enjoying doubles for more of a mental health relief and mental, you know, benefit, social benefits of playing with friends. So I, I think it happens, you know, for a number of, di- in a number of different ways, but well, I don't know if you have anything else to add there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I used to think that there was some kind of like method to this behind the scenes going on. Uh, and there's really not, um, they, yeah, they'll text each other, or direct message each other on, on whatever social platform it is. I will say, it changes as your ranking improves. Mm-hmm. So if if you're ranked lower, you may not be able to get into all the tournaments. You might have to uh, ask a higher ranked singles player to play with you at a Masters 1000, for example. Um, but once you get into that top 30, top 20 in the doubles rankings, then you can, that's when you can kind of choose a partner and stick with them for a full year. It becomes a little bit easier because at that point y'all can get into uh, all of the big tournaments. Um, so, so a lot of players I find will um, use a lot of different partners until they get their ranking up. But then I've also noticed some players, uh, some teammates stay together, even at the lower level tournaments. Um, and then they'll kind of work their way up as a team uh, until they, they get their ranking up together. So um, yeah, it, it just depends on kind of the, person and the preferences of them yeah i mean from a from just an uh, an amateur's perspective um playing with friends makes sense i think even just the, the pressure and the responsibility you might feel 
with with playing with somebody you don't know whether they're significantly better or or, or, or the other way around i mean you you also hope that there's a, a there's a nice balance that you, you don't want to have the one person that's producing all the shots and saving the team i mean can you think of yeah. an example will where there has been a doubles team that's done very well got to a final maybe won a tournament and it is one player carrying the other uh i you know, it at the majors probably not. Um, maybe it's some of the lower level tournaments. If there's like a player ranked really high, and they they typically maybe don't play a, a one twenty five or a two fifty, and they're they're playing with a friend or something. I mean, historically, um, Will, you did have some. I don't want to say, yeah, I mean, kind of lopsided in 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 the stature of the singles game, such yeah. as. I think it's fair to say that that Mary Carrillo standing in the singles game wasn't quite as high as John McEnroe's. Pam Shriver's wasn't quite as high as Martina Navratilova's. That doesn't mean that they weren't 50-50 in their double success because Pam Shriver, possibly one of the best women's doubles players of all time, yeah. probably doesn't fall into that category in the singles. But but that's, that there's different dynamics at play, right? Yeah. And I think at the pro level, it's just like harder to notice the differences because the margins are so much smaller. Yeah. So if I go down to my local club, like I'll, I'll be able to tell within five minutes, like, oh, that player's much better than their partner. You know, they're going to cover all the balls in the middle. Whereas at the pro level, it's like the the difference between number one in the world and number 70 or a hundred in the world. It's not that much. Like it's, it's very, very small margins. Uh, even though the score might be, you know, six two, six three in a, a singles match. Yeah. Um what one that does come to mind, I guess, is Curios Kokonakis, uh the Australian Open last year. Um I mean Kokonakis is a great player, uh, but Curios is, is just, you know, he's better. Um yeah. so maybe Curios kind of carried him at times in the matches I saw. Um I remember there was definitely some return games where they'd win you know, all these curious return points and Kokonakis couldn't find a return. And then eventually he finds one and curious kind of would lift him up and points like that. So that's, that's one that comes to mind, but uh, yeah. Max Sock and John Isner is another one or does Isner um, serve, get him? you know, is that him carrying up his end of the doubles bargain? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, no, I mean, I, I feel like Isner actually improved at doubles last year. Uh, so when he won the Sunshine Double, um, was he... Jack Sock one of the doubles players against Rafa and Roger last year at the Labour Cup? Who was it? Was Jack Sock? Was it? And I think it was Sock and Tiafo. Sock and Tiafo, yeah, because yeah. Sock was Tiafo. just the best player on the court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think Hanlon, back to your point, like no, I, I think Isner was a really good doubles player last year. Um, I mean, he he did great with Sock, and they won Indian Wells, but then he teamed up with Hercotch and won Miami. Then he teamed up with Schwartzman yeah, and made the final in Rome. So Miami it's like, won, uh, Hercotch won Miami doubles, did he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Isner. with Isner. I think yeah. he's got the singles and the doubles then now as a, in his trophy cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, yeah, I, I think Isner kind of proved that he is a fantastic doubles player as well. Um, I know he's been struggling in singles yeah, this year. I was so surprised they lost first round at Wimbledon too. They did play a good team though. Isner hasn't played a lot in the last sort of 12 months. I don't think he's sort of maybe just still easing his way back uh, onto the circuit. Uh, what about um, the players that they beat, by the way, in the final? Uh, Marcel Granoles and Horacio uh, Zaballos. 
I mean, what's their sort of doubles pedigree? They've been around for a while. Um, and I haven't gotten to watch a ton of their matches. Will has probably watched them more than me, but I do know neither of them has, they've, they've won a bunch of big titles together and have gone deep in so many slams. Um, but they haven't won a grand slam before. And this was actually um, their third, I think they're zero and three in finals as a pairing. And then uh, Marcel um, Granola, I'm sure I butchered his last name. Um, he's zero and five in grand slam finals as well. So they've had tough luck in the final stages of, of the majors, but they've been, you know, a solid doubles team the last several years, both together and throughout their careers with multiple different partners, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, um, they've, they're, they're a team that stayed together for a while. I don't know when they first teamed up, but it seems like they've been together maybe five years or so. Uh, and you don't, you know, you don't always see that. I mean, we just saw Mekdic and Pavic uh, play their last tournament together. Um, but, uh, Granollers and Zabayos did make the final at Wimbledon. I think it was 2021. Um, so, so two years ago, uh, but they're a really good lefty righty combo who always has a chance to make a deep run at, on really any surface, um, uh, when they're healthy. By the way, a, a slight offshoot. I did see Skupski, by the way, say something about, uh, losing or not doing well in the mixed doubles, um. Uh, helped him uh, towards the, the the men's victory. I don't know if you heard that one. I didn't, but that that is a good point. Um, and I, also, I feel like that was one of the more under the radar, you know, big upsets in Wimbledon that him and uh, Skupski and Desiree Krauchik lost first round when they won the mixed event. Um, I believe twice at Wimbledon together. Um, but I mean, that makes sense, I guess, if he had you know, less, more of his schedule cleared up after, you know, going out in the first round of the mix just to focus solely on men's doubles and, you know, take one match at a time. So, uh, you know, I was really excited to see them solidify the number one spot and get their first major together. Yeah, absolutely. Any other final words, Will, on the, on the men's doubles? Um, no, I, m- I mentioned Mektic Pavic, uh, you know, we, they had a great run for a couple of years. <clears throat> um, the only other thing is is Ram and Salisbury lost first round. Uh, so mm. they they teamed up together for the first time in 2019, and they've made the year in finals every year. Uh, and they are 19th right now. They've had a rough year. So it will be interesting to see how they do this fall. Last fall, they did really well winning the U.S. Open, and I think they won – it was either Cincinnati or in Canada. I think they won Cincinnati. Um so they won a Masters 1000 and a Grand Slam in the fall. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of claw their way back up into the race. Yeah, and, lots of points to defend. Mm-hmm. Mm. And of course, we had some success for Pavic uh, in the mixed doubles alongside the Ukrainian Lyudmala uh, Kishinok. Uh, I, hopefully I'm closer on the surname <laughs> than the first name. So, uh, so there was some success there. Tell me about um, their run and, and their success, Will. Um, yeah, so Pavic has, I think, a couple of Grand Slams in mixed, right, Hanlon? Um, two or three at this point. Uh, so. And like I said, that was aired on, on ESPN, so I, I got to watch a, a good bit of it. Um, and I think it went to a third set. They lost the second in a, 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 a tiebreaker. Um, and yeah, the mixed is great. I mean, it's a ton of fun to watch because you'll, you'll see – 
it's so much different because you'll you'll see the guys like crowd over to the the girl side a lot of the times like Pavic was doing it a bunch in the second set okay. even on easy balls that like Kitchenock could uh you know had an easy short forehand and it's like she's a, she's a top tennis player in the world like mm-hmm. she she can make this and do something with it and he since he's a lefty he would like crowd over to her side and try to take it and he'd miss it um and get upset with himself and you could see he's he's like playing it through in his mind like I know I was being a ball hog there, but I I should be able to make that shot. And so it's interesting watching the dynamic there and mixed. Um, but it was cool to see them win. Uh, Kitchenok, being from uh, Ukraine, had some nice words afterwards, um, and the crowd gave her a, a huge standing ovation. So um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch and good to see on on ESPN as well. Uh, any thoughts, Hanlon? Um, there are a lot of well, I'm, yeah. I was excited to see both of these uh, or this team win especially because I think Kitchenok and um, Ostapenko lost early. They were one of the seed, the top seeds in the women's draw that went out fairly early. So good on um, her to get the mixed title. But there were some other really fun teams in the draw that didn't go as far as I was hoping. Um, Taylor Townsend and Jamie Murray was one team, you know, double lefty team that, you know, UK, US team that I think a lot of people were excited about. Um, And then, Two uh, teams who, you know, we all know are, are couples. Um, Stephanus, it's Pass and Paula Bedosa, obviously. And then um, Alex Diemenauer and Katie Balter, both of them. Um, well, Sitsi Dosa, I think, withdrew altogether. And then Balter <laughs> and, and uh, Diemenauer won a round, I think, and then lost in the second round. So it was cool yeah. to see you know, personal relationships blend into the mixed doubles draw. Yeah. Um, anything to elaborate on in Sidosa or, or Dimonor and Katie Bolter, um, Will? No, I don't think so. Um, the Sidosa thing, I don't, I don't really have interest in talking about. <laughs> no, no. But, but actually, oh, uh, Pass is a doubles player. Um, I mean, on the men's yeah, side. Yeah, he played with his brother, yeah. Brother, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, um, they yeah, got he a plays with his two. brother, um yeah they play i don't i don't know if they lost first round or, or second round but um yeah they typically play the grand slams together and a lot of people uh it comes up it seems like every major um city will be winning a couple of uh rounds in the singles and everybody will say oh is he gonna withdraw and, and he never does um to his credit i mean he always plays with his brother he's trying to help his brother make it in doubles it seems like so um yeah, yeah. I mean, since cool by the way, I wouldn't necessarily say he's a great doubles player, but I think he's had some reasonable success at the the beginning of the year with Maria Sakari sometimes in in mixed doubles, um, at least. So, uh, by mm-hmm. the way, on on a, on a slight offshoot, I saw an exchange on Instagram today, and I wish I could remember it between Taylor Townsend and Leila Fernandez. There was some kind of funny exchange where. I don't know whether it was like that doubles partner you have who who, who doesn't pull their weight. And then <laughs> one of them responded by saying, you don't mean me, do you? And then like, no, lol, or something like that uh, between the pair. So I, I'll try and fish that out if I can, but I can't find it off the top of my head at least. Um, at, what, what about Leila Fernandez, Taylor, uh, Taylor Townsend? How did they um, how did they get on? Did they, did they play in the, mixed, in the, in the women's doubles? Yeah, they... they lost to um Stefani and Garcia I believe in the okay third round yeah so they were a team that that was actually a matchup that I thought no that was second round okay yeah I, 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 it was that section of the draw was very tough because Shea and Stritzova were in that 
section as well. Um, and, and I, th I thought the team that won that matchup might come out of that, uh, that quarter, but it turned out Shea and Stritzipa won. Um, but Fernandez and Townsend are still fifth in the race to the year in finals. So they, um, they told us in Charleston that that is one of their goals to, to make the year in final. So they're on track to do that. Um, despite that result. Have you got any thoughts on, on Taylor, Fou uh, Taylor Fountain, Taylor Townsend and Leila Fernandez Hanlon. Yeah, I think they're a really fun team to watch and, you know, could be potentially really great for doubles if they keep playing together long-term, both of them are, are very, you know, I think have very strong fan bases, big personalities, flashy games they're both left-handed um yeah so that's I, I remember speaking to will about that before the, yeah. the two left-handed dynamic handle and what are your thoughts on that and is that is that a recipe for success sometimes in doubles or not i think it certainly can be i know they both prefer their forehands and you know okay their um game style would it would it be beneficial though if one of them preferred the backhand and one preferred the forehand is there is there something you know two lefties may be fine but if there was a dynamic where one was stronger on the backhand side yeah i mean i think you can make that argument i know a lot of people like prefer to have their forehands in the middle if you're playing you know with um a righty and a lefty um but i don't know will what do you think about the left the double lefty dynamics uh i, I mean i think it's great because it's something you almost never see so when you know, when when your opponents come up against it, they're they're just not used to it. Um, they're gonna make, you know, we all have these tendencies and doubles that work, and that we build around playing against two right-handed opponents. So, like when I play two lefties or a lefty, I'll lob them over the wrong side once or twice before I get it right, and they'll hit an overhead back in my face. So. <laughs> I think that has to happen at the pro level. Maybe it's not the lob, but maybe it's, uh, you know, hitting a ground stroke or a passing shot to a certain location. Um, but as far as the forehand backhand thing goes, Townsend uh, plays the deuce court, if I remember correctly. And um, she has a solid backhand. So if they take her out wide in the deuce court, she hits a very heavy ball um, and can kind of hang with any righty forehand uh, cross court. And she likes to get to the net a lot anyways. Um, so she doesn't spend too much time back there uh, in a lot of cases. So I feel like it's a an advantage for them for sure. Um, if nothing else, uh, then just for the reason that it's very uncommon. Hanlon, uh, any other sort of final thoughts on the, the doubles tournament? Are there any stories or matches that, that we've not mentioned that deserve to be highlighted? Well, this is one um, kind of random fact. I was looking at the Legends Invitational draw, and <laughs> uh, Kim Kleisters and Martina Hingis went four and zero in the Women's Invitational without dropping a set. So, you know, judging how successful both of them were, you know, in the prime of their careers in doubles, winning multiple majors and getting to the number one ranking, um, I would have loved to have seen them just thrown into the the women's doubles draw and, and you know see how far they can go because I. They both clearly can still play great doubles. So I, I would have liked to, you know, think that they can, they could have won a few rounds, if not more. I mean, Kim did have a, a flirt, I think, about just on the, it was just on the maybe eve of COVID, I think, where she said she might come back for, for a singles run. And then it didn't really sort of happen. I think a few tournaments may have well have got cancelled. And then she may have played one singles tournament. Then it just didn't really happen at all. I'm not sure mm -hmm. about Martina's age, what she's probably early 40s, I would guess. 
Um, mind you, there are one or two players that are showing that certainly in the doubles side, uh, they can still play very good level of doubles in their 40s, as we, we see with a, a certain young man from India. Yeah. Yeah, Vipana made the semifinals, what's ranking actually. Now? What's his ranking now? I think he's up to like six or something. Yeah, seven. seven. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ebden got to number 10 to his partner, Matt Ebden. So they're both, you know, top 10 doubles players now, which is great. Yeah. Uh, Will, any other uh, matches, for example, or, or stories that we've missed, um, do you think, from Wimbledon? Um, yeah, the, the overall, I mean, the women's draw was kind of strange with all the seeds going out early. So I didn't mention this, but this kind of blew my mind. So uh, Storm Hunter and Elise Mertens made the final, and they had lost nine total games. And they were already in the finals. So their closest match was 6-2, 6-1 going Got into it. the finals. But did that um, so, maybe did that count against them to some extent in that final? Do you think? I mean, but probably because they they had a relatively weak draw. I mean, I thought their semi would have been closer against Dolhide and Shui. I mean, that's not a, a particularly easy matchup. That's two really good doubles players. But um, anyways, yeah. I mean, they didn't have any real tests uh, going into the finals, um, so that could have counted against them for sure. Uh, another thing is, I, I tweeted this out. Um, in the middle of the tournament, Coco lost, uh, I think, first round in singles, right? And then Jessica was still in. Um, but it seemed like just a great opportunity, again, for them to win their first major together. They've been mm. probably the second best team over the last couple of years. Um, and they've got several Masters 1000s. And um, yeah, they, they've made the year in finals last year. I think they're first or second. Uh, this year in the race. Um, and then they lost three and three to, uh, who was it? Zvana Reva and, and Siegmund in the third round. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That that result kind of surprised me. Uh, so Siegmund said to me earlier this year, I spoke to her in Madrid and she said that, um, I don't know, I, I, the vibe I got that she was thinking of winding down her singles career and giving it her best shot in doubles to to maybe pick up a title or two. Um, she wouldn't say that. She wouldn't say that um, that that she wasn't that she was you know winding down the singles career. But that was the vibe I got, and I saw her pull out in Paris of the qualifiers mm -hmm. for the singles, but play the doubles. So I thought, okay, that is supporting what I think. I'm not saying that she's going to be winning Grand Slams because I don't don't think she's got that kind of pedigree. Not yet, anyway. Even if, if she's in her mid thirties, well, um, they won the U.S. Open. Oh, okay. She's won a grand. She's yeah. won a U.S. Yeah. Open. Okay. So yeah, 2020. She in 2020 okay. U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. So there we so go. Maybe maybe she thinks that there's a there's another Grand Slam for her in in doubles she, and and probably singles that that ship has sailed. Yeah, yeah. So they won the uh, U.S. Open 2020, and then I I think they won Miami last year or maybe the year before. Um, so they are they're a good team, and Siegman is. If she does that and focuses on doubles, I think she'll be a top 10 player. Um, she is a very, very good player at the net. She moves really well uh, and, and has a very high doubles IQ. So I think that could work for her to extend her career for sure. She's not a huge fan of, of, of grass as a surface, so maybe she will maybe maybe have more mm. success in, in North America. Talking of North America, Hanlon, we're now in your – it's over <laughs> to you now. We're, we're passing the baton away from Europe, at least until the indoor season uh, and, and sort of the end of the year. Uh, what are you excited about in the next sort of few weeks, Hanlon? 
Uh, I'm just excited, you know, to get tennis back stateside and steal it back from you guys. Um, <laughs> it'll be fun. I know Newport kicked off this week in Rhode Island. That's always an event that I've wanted to go to um, at the International Tennis Hall of Fame on the grass. But I'll be going to um, Atlanta next weekend for the ATP 250. And then, you know, that's always a good warm up to D.C., Cincinnati, Montreal, you know, the Canada swing. So um, and then Will and I will be going to the U.S. Open as well. So I'm really excited to get back there. But I think a big picture, you know, storylines, even outside of doubles, it'll be awesome to see, you know, if we can get a rematch of Djokovic and Alcaraz at the U.S. Open again um, to see how, you know, Iga and the development of the WTA's big three quote unquote, more or less with some of the, you know, outside intruders, how that continues to pan out. So I think, you know, singles and doubles, there'll be a lot of great stories um, headed into the U.S. Hard, hard court swing. What's Carlos in terms of doubles, Will? I mean, uh, I saw some suggestions that him and Rafa may well pair up for the for the French Open next year. There's a lot of tennis to be played between now and then. And I'm probably thinking most in terms of Rafa's health. Um, yeah. more than more than Carlos's. But um, I mean, that, of course, would be a dream pairing. And and maybe Rafa wouldn't have to do quite as much running as he would on a singles call. I, I, uh, when you went woof, I don't know whether you were going woof because what a what a combo that could be or just, you know, we'll see how Rafa is in terms of his health. What a combo that could be and how fun would that be to watch? Um, yeah, I, I mean, Alcaraz could figure out the doubles court. Uh, he's got zero weaknesses um he has all the tools yeah he he could figure it out uh, and both are pretty good at the net i mean this is a an area of the game that for 10 or 15 years neglected is too strong a word but the more particularly with with roger and um and novak sort of dominating from the back of the court i know roger at the beginning of his career was was more keen to come to the net but uh towards the end of his career was pretty much just staying at the back but 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 Carlos and 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 Rafa as well. If Rafa's half fit or even closer to full fitness, their touch at the net is is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think they'd do great together, and obviously that would get a ton of huge storylines for doubles, which I would love to see as well. So, um, I mean, I've Hallam, not heard that, but uh, do, I, I do, yeah, I, I think it was sort of speculation, and then it becomes news. And okay. I mean, they're both Spanish, of course, and so you know, assuming if if Rafa is close, I I actually think that you know Rafa might if if Rafa's health is just nowhere near what it needs to be for um, singles, yeah, top singles competition. You know, Olympics would be. This is not disrespecting Olympics. I think it's a separate argument to sort of start saying whether tennis should be there and i'm more than happy to have that for another day but um uh you know doubles at the olympics would be a sort of in the direction of a labor cup sort of exit like like roger yeah. had uh i don't think it's too disrespectful either because it would be in doubles i think it would be a lot of fun and actually would bring a lot of attention both to tennis at the olympics but also doubles in particular right hand yeah, I would agree. I think it'd be a fitting way for Rafa to go out on clay, especially with the Olympics being in Paris next year. And I will say of the the big three or big four, um, I think Nadal has had the most double success in his career. Uh, obviously, he won the gold medal at the, I don't remember what year. 2008, maybe? Was it 08? I know um, he won the singles that year as well, but that was alongside Lopez, I think. I think they might have won in 16 because Federer okay, and Stan won in 08. So, I mean, okay. it's interesting to see a lot of their, um, the big threes, doubles careers because Federer had a lot of double success early on in his career and then, you know, stopped playing once he got to the top and then 
Nadal has kind of played sporadically with Mark Lopez and had some good success over the years too. So it'd be great for to see uh, Nadal and Alcaraz, you know, go out with, with some doubles on the clay next year. Talking of doubles and and the big three, of course, Federer and his future wife played together at the Hopman Cup twenty uh, odd years ago, and that, and that's sort of where their romance kind of began. We've got the Hopman Cup happening this week, right, Will? Uh, yeah, I believe I so. Saw Donna Vekic and and uh, Borna Chorich in an Instagram post, I think, as well. Uh, honestly, I don't spend that much time on Instagram, but I've seen a couple of posts today. Um, uh, they were not playing; they were just sort of hanging out. Um, but I think the Hotman Cup, obviously being a nation thing, there may be well be some some doubles action there. I don't really know. I'm, I'm guessing there will be, given that, that it's been a uh, a part of the tournament in the past. It's a strange time of the year to be squeezing in this. What if it wants to be a prestigious tournament? But that's that's tennis calendars <laughs> for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you have any memories of, of of Hotman Cups from years years gone by, Will? Uh, Hamlin might uh, have watched it more than I have. Um... I remember, yeah, sounds- I think Serena and Francis Tiafo played together for the U.S. one year, if I remember oh, that correctly. That was a really exciting combo. And then I remember um, Angelique Kerber and Alexander Zverev, I think, playing together for Germany and Kerber, like, giving him some, like, some of her classic, like, eye rolls or just, it's just, it was funny just to see, like, the dynamic between different, you know, female players at the same country and male players and, like, age differences and personalities. So it's always fun to see, um how the, you know, the country pairings work out. And I know, I think Federer and Benchich, from what I remember, have had a lot of success for mm-hmm. Team Switzerland over the years too. Um, so yeah, the mixed events are always, you know, where tennis, I think, shines the most. Certain players, and I think Benchich falls into this category, she does sort of seem to thrive in the in the, in the the team environment, if you like, more than the, the singles environment anyway. Um, what up, just one more thing before I do let you both uh, ride off into the sunset. Is, is talking about nationalities over the years. Um, I mean, it seems to be about 50-50 where you might get, you know, Kokinakis and and, uh, and uh, Kyrgios, of course, playing together for Australia. I mean, in, in Grand Slams, etc. Um, you know, Navratilova, we touched on earlier, of course, becoming an, a, an adopted American and, and playing alongside Pam Shriver, McEnroe and so on and so forth that we just highlighted. But there's also a lot of pairs now that are coming from very different parts of the world. Um, is there is there a pattern where we, where we would say you know what it tends to be where there's the same native tongue and, and and same nationality is any more successful or is it now such a small world that it's really about friendships and dynamics? Will yeah, I mean I think because the world is so global that it is more about just friendship dynamics. But um, I've got the race pulled up here, so let's look at like the top twelve. So we've got. Uh, one, two, three, four of the top 12 on the men's side are the same nationality okay. uh, in the year in race. And then on the women's side, one, two, uh, just two. So, yeah, yeah so, so not a ton. I mean, that's six out of 24. I think I did that. Right. I mean, everybody's um, level of, of of English now as well is to the extent that that it may not have been the case twenty or thirty years ago. But I think there's barely I've I've never heard a, a player on tour that that really can't do. I mean, I know people yeah. criticise certain players' level of English, but these are people that have no idea what it's like to learn a language. Trust me, because I don't know anyone on the tour that that can't speak English. I mean, there might be someone, but I haven't met them. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I think part of it also has to do with just how many months they're on the road together, you know? So like um, somebody who knows more about tennis history would be able to speak to this better than me. But at, like a while back, right, people like didn't always go to every single tournament. Um, but now you're on the road 11 months out of the year. And, you know, these are the people you're hanging out with, regardless of like what country um, you're from. So you're going to team up with the people you connect with or you feel like give you the best chance to win regardless of the country. Um, and especially since like the prize money in doubles is so low, like, you have to do what's in your best financial interest. Um, historically, they've been, Hanlon, historically, they've been a big, what's the biggest fallout between a doubles pairing? You know, have we seen a divorce basically occur <laughs> on court? Uh, have we seen uh, have we seen a pair fight at all? Or I mean, in in most other sports, we probably would. Ex- I mean, I can tell you examples in the Premier League where where teammates have fought actually mm, on the pitch, that's a good and point. it's really funny, by the way. Um, yeah. But I, I I don't recall one of of that level in in tennis. I'm trying to think of like Will and I kind of always joke about this. Like it would be funny to start um, a a website or something that's like just you know exposing like doubles team or talking about doubles teams like drama and breakups and stuff because you know that would just be <laughs> crazy on on twitter um but i i can't think of a a very public like bad breakup incident you kind of hear rumblings from other journalists or other people like on twitter that you talk to that you might see like small things about here and there but um i can't really think of like a big public you know juicy doubles partnership breakup but one like a couple of like a couple of fisty cuffs you know (laughs) i would like to see it more i know the brian brothers would openly talk about how they used to you know but their brothers they used to fight all the time and beat up on each other um but um going back to your point about the nationality Mm -hmm. in doubles partnerships i think the next year will be really interesting with 2024 being an olympic year you often see um doubles partnerships sort of split up or or reform to, you know, try and play with someone from your home country to make, you know, a strong Olympics bid. So I think we could very well see that with a lot of um, players who might, you know, want to increase their odds of making their country's Olympic team by, you know, teaming up with a fellow uh, countryman or countrywoman. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. So uh, I mean, it'll be basically this time next year, I think. I mean, it feels mm-hmm. like the last Olympics has barely just finished, but we've got another one already yeah. occurring. Uh, okay, guys, listen, wonderful. Thanks for your time. It's been almost an hour. We've been chatting uh, all things doubles and and even a, a, a potential fisticuffs. Well, we're here for it. If if, if a pair is, if, a pair, if one partner right now is watching this, you know, on, on the court and they are thinking about, um, Maybe just giving a, a light slap, let's say, to their to their double partner. <laughs> I'm not encouraging violence of, of a huge, but it would be it would be entertaining. Uh, and equally, if there's a if there's a, a, a doubles partnership that is romantically involved and they wish to have a you know a public separation, I'm all for that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever brings the eyeballs to the doubles court is good with me. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and fingers crossed, we have a, a a really exciting North American swing. And and who knows, friend of the show, Laura Siegmund. She doesn't know that she's a friend of the show. Well, I just happened to interview her once, uh, and now she's called <laughs> us. Uh, she can um can bring it to New York like she did a few years ago. Guys, big thank you for joining me today. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. And we'll be as always. We'll be probably touching base again uh, after New York. I hope, but um. If uh, things work out, we may even cross paths uh, in the Big Apple too. Sounds Hope good. So. 
See ya. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.